This is a Dauntless Media Collective podcast. Visit dauntless.fm for more content. The title of the thread was Pussified Nation. And it was just that this screed of bile that at the time we dismissed as this over-the-top character, this this cartoonish idea of masculinity. In hindsight, looking back on it and having seen what Mark became, we just all realized, like, he's been William Wallace all along. He's marketing himself differently. Pastor Mark is a different persona that's the same ideas, just expressed in a more palatable way for mass consumption. Hi, I'm Nate. I'm Gail. And this is Full Mutuality. So today on the podcast, uh, we are blessed <laughs> to have... What? <laughs> what? <laughs> I don't know why that came out, why I said that. That... Especially since this is this is well, not. See you later. <laughs> <laughs> we were like, Sorry, is, before is this we hit record, church? we were <laughs> no, talking I... about weird evangelical culture things, and like, here we go. And here, we, here we go. Here we are. I'm saying, I'm saying, blessed. I feel like oh, I'm man. back at Hillsong now. Be blessed every uh, every service. Um, okay, so we are we're grateful to have with us Zach Malm. Zach is uh, the co-host of the Veterans of Culture Wars podcast, um, and is also a musician. And one of the things that I like about your podcast is that in your intro, you always started off with um, a phrase. I'll let you say it because I, I don't remember it very clearly, and I want to make sure. That it's said properly, but there is something that you say about yourself at the start of every episode. Well, it's sort it's sort of evolved. At the beginning, when we started doing it, I, I would say, you know, I'm, you know, I try to distinguish myself from Dave. He says he's a film buff. I'm a film buff as well, and maybe I know more about films than him. Honestly, uh, Dave, if you're listening, I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> no, um, but but you know, I'm an amateur musician. I've released my own music, and I played a bunch in church. And I led worship at church. So I'd say I'm a musician, a former worship leader. I, at first I said, I helped destroy a mega church, and I'm not really sure what I believe anymore. And then the podcast kind of became more and more about specifically my Mars Hill stuff. And so now I just assume that everybody knows what that is. And I say, I helped destroy Mars Hill Church, and I'm not really sure what I believe anymore. And I've started adi- adding on to that in the last few episodes, uh, and I'm all right with that. Yeah. That's neat. Yeah, I think I think that's so as far as a topic for for our conversation here, I think that's going to be it. We're going to talk about Mars Hill Church because like we um, want to take notes on how to destroy mega churches. And we feel like you might be our guy. To <laughs> give us some notes. Nate maybe wants to take down Hillsong. I don't know. <laughs> we're, we're already we're all we've already been uh, been attacking Hillsong. So uh, a little bit about my, you know, my, my backstory for, for your sake, Zach. Um, I, I grew up in the independent fundamentalist Baptist, uh, environment, ended up going to Bob Jones university, um, for my undergrad. But after that, I entered the, the mega church world. When I came out of that, I, you know, took one step in, I guess, a deconstruction direction away from the fundamentalist world, ended up at a, uh, a, a mega church called liquid church, which fun I love fact, the names for evangelical churches, fun, liquid church, <laughs> fun mm-hmm. fact, speaking of funny like names, I've heard of that. Yeah. You, you probably have heard of them. They've, they've marketed themselves 
pretty well in recent years um, to the point where Abraham Piper, um, the son of of John Piper, uh, on his TikTok today, um, you, you'll have to go find it. He did a thing about renaming churches through the thesaurus, and he came across Liquid Church and renamed it Moist Church or oh, Secretion Church. Oh, gosh. <laughs> I don't know that any of these are good, <laughs> No. Um, so Liquid Church was sort of in the Andy Stanley vein of, uh, of mega churches. And then um, I ended up uh, getting a full-time job as a children's minister at a church called Emergence, which – and that church – um, started on day one with like 1,100 people and it exploded from there and caught the attention of the Act 29 network when um, Mark Driscoll was still in charge. And uh, we started hosting Acts 29 boot camps. The church continued to grow. Uh, by the time I was asked to resign, um, it was probably averaging around 3,500 or so. Um, did they did they ask you? To, I'm trying to remember from your story. Did they ask you to read the book doctrines, or did you do that on your yes. own? Or just yes? Okay. No, uh, <laughs> okay, I Mark. I almost it is actually this is this is this is the unfortunate thing about my story is that I I did purchase it so that by the time I was uh, mandated to read the book, I already had a copy ready to go. I um, never read any of Mark's books. Wow. Well, it's always nice when I see them at like the Goodwill or something. Yes. <laughs> I'm like, somebody else got I would rid of never one. give nice. that garbage away to Goodwill. I would just I know, burn it like, in a like bonfire. Trash would be better. But yeah. uh, it's always nice yeah. to see. Somebody oh, didn't feel it was important enough to stick around. Yeah, rip out the pages, uh, smoke weed. And I don't know. I, you know. I don't know if you read well, uh, Crispin Mayfield's uh, a book, Attached to God, but he, he talks about... Uh, as a teenager starting a Christian band while living in China uh, called Sanctified Viscosity. And I think oh, they, they would have been the house band at Liquid Church. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. <laughs> that got us into topics of which which liquids are okay and which are not okay yeah. in evangelicalism, <laughs> specifically as a teenage boy writing songs about your struggles. Come, Lord Jesus, come. <laughs> How about that? <laughs> Oh man! All right. So, well, you Zach, had a hill. Um, sorry, you had a Mars Hill adjacent church that you were part of. Nate, yeah. that was you know Acts twenty nine, uh, and they they copied it and they they loved all the right. all the all the Acts twenty nine right. stuff. I I didn't have any of that, but he was just so popular. I mean, I think we're all probably the same era. I'm born in eighty one. I think you're probably around my age, Zach, but I could be yeah. eighty two. He was just the thing. He was popular mm-hmm. at the time yeah. when we were all. You're eighty four, Nate. It's this Mark, Mark Driscoll was big at the time when we were in our twenties, and he was you know he was up and coming i mean i I would listen to his stuff online and so when we got this podcast going uh the christianity today podcast on uh on the rise and fall of uh, mars hill came on and we were listening to it we were riveted by it but we were also annoyed by it because we were like this is such an evangelical take on what went wrong and they're kind of dancing around a lot of because they can't out themselves and you know criticize things they're still they still do Christianity today would still be defending so we just we were getting agitated as we kept listening and we had a lot of critiques and and we had been talking about starting this podcast so we're like what 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 topic do we want to jump on for our first episode and that's what we picked and yeah I listened uh, it's to still, a couple of those <laughs> you know what of yours. Before, 
So oh. yours, we I started got a hold of your podcast because when I was researching, you know, I was trying to get a, a bigger sense of the whole topic. Listening to obviously the Christianity Today, I was trying to like pick out voices that were critiquing. Um, mm-hmm. and, and you, I think you had uh, Jessica Johnson on yours um, on one of your episodes. Yeah, and- she'd been on previously because she, I, I, she interviewed me for the book that she wrote. Uh, about that and so I'd known her already and like when we started the podcast she was one of the people I wanted to bring on so like when we first had her on like I think we called that episode the Mars Hill episode Um, (laughs) but then she came back for one of our string of episodes covering that Mm. (laughs) yeah well we we kicked it off with that topic and and I had listened to a bunch of your your episodes um, dealing with Mars Hill because you did you did a few of them on it and you had such a an important role I think in the whole situation and we I mean, and I just want to say I really enjoy your podcast. Like I've listened to other episodes that you've done on other topics related to evangelical culture. It's, you know, I know um, you guys talk about a a lot of evangelical things and you have two different, very different perspectives because because David, is it Dave or David, your co-host? I want to make sure. Dave, he, you know, he he says he's still evangelical and, and you're not. And so it's interesting. Like I get a lot out of listening to the two of you guys go back and forth and I generally don't. I try and avoid listening to white white guy podcasts because that's all I got within within evangelicalism. That is literally that's all I listen to is white men. But I mm-hmm. realize like I, I've been thinking this over and the importance that white guys like you play in this whole community and, and the, like, you know, the, just how important it is, because I know that like as a woman and when you are not a white guy, especially as a woman you there i was just reading something recently that was talking about how men respond to uh, have a resistance to women speaking and i don't just mean in the evangelical world just in general when women state their thoughts that they're just there was a there was a thread going around on twitter and my female friends were sharing and it was resonating with so many of us just the fact that even with you know spouses didn't matter where brothers whoever just that there's often a pushback when women talk that men don't deal with and and talking with other women i knew Admitting that they, when they got out of evangelicalism and started listening to podcasts on deconstruction, they gravitated towards white men. And I think that white guys still have a lot of privilege. You guys still have a lot of, um, like, I think there are people who wouldn't listen to me who absolutely need to hear it from a white guy to feel confident in what's being said. It might even be an unconscious thing, but I really appreciate the work that you and David and Dave are doing on it. I appreciate the fact that you guys bring in so many voices that are not that are not the privileged people like you had um the episode you did with Shannon David Dave bringing in you know his his college friend um that one was fascinating i know you had Chrissy on and um you guys have taken a lot of time to i don't i don't i guess i didn't expect that from a podcast with someone who's still evangelical to give credit to Dave you know of bringing in those voices that most evangelicals would absolutely not touch on and not with the compassion and the education and the desire to change things that I see in, in what you guys are doing. So I don't know, I just encourage everyone to go check out your podcast. I'm totally making a plug veterans of culture where I've very much enjoyed it. There's so much good content on it. Um, the last one that I was really riveted by on your, on your show was uh, you talking about your alma mater, um, Seattle Pacific university. And I'm so glad you say that. Oh man, that was fast. Like, you know, so just quick side note, and I can go off on tangents, and I want to get back to Mars Hill, but I'm a pessimistic person at heart. And when it comes to the evangelical world, that was where I grew up. And I look at it, and I have a burn it all down vibe, because I see so much toxicity. I see so oh, much sure. pain. In fact, even in my current 
current situation with the evangelicals, I know I see the damage done to my trans family members, to my gay family, and from, it's from the evangelicals all the time. Like, they're, they are the worst. They are the worst at loving. They are the worst at supporting. Um, they always say the most cruel things, and they're not trying to do it on purpose. It's part of the teaching and the indoctrination. So I really value the work that you guys are doing. And when I listened to that episode on SBU, I was like, I guess, blown away a bit at another perspective. Um, I, I don't believe in changing things from within. I left. I tried and I left. And I think a lot of people yeah. have taken that route for legitimate reasons. Um, that's but a, that's that episode, a very valid route yeah. to take. That's how I feel about most of these things. Yeah. Um, but specifically with, with the SPU story, it's become a bigger story since people have seen the, the, the viral video going around of the students at graduation handing the pride flags to, to the the president of the university as he hands them their diploma. Yeah, it was really cool. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm glad it's becoming uh, – a, a more known story because like it, that episode didn't do the sort of numbers that I was hoping it would. And I don't make money off the podcast, so it doesn't matter for me, but I was we hear you. to me. It's <laughs> the most important episode we've done since the Mars Hill things. And I just wanted to be helping push that snowball as much as I could. And there's nothing else to my knowledge out there like that. Um, a, a almost two hour discussion really going deep into everything that led up to these massive student protests. And from, from you know, we, we had a, a student and a professor who is queer, but the right kind of queer. He yeah. is married to a woman and thus allowed to be employed there, but be, very aware of of how lucky he was in in just finding a, a spouse that happened to fit within what the, the school would allow. And um, so getting their perspective on on where things are at, as I've had many discussions with friends that are professors there over the last couple of years, as there's been an increased push internally to get this stuff changed. And so the thing that they hit on that that really made me reexamine the this idea of whether change from the inside is possible and worth sticking around for is they kept saying and, you know, and you know the professors I would talk to before even doing this podcast, they kept saying the change that we're trying to have happen, that this language and the policies is about reflecting what the school already is. This is supported by the vast majority of students and staff. This is only kept in place by a board of less than 20 people. This is not a, a massive corrupt institution that requires huge changes from within the changes have been happening over the last 20 years since I was a student and saw fellow students vote down dancing uh, being, being permissible. <laughs> it is wild. We now like, have hundreds is... of queer students protesting this with faculty. It's it's incredible. It's inspiring. I was so I inspired because, you know, you talking about I heard that you telling that story of, of when you went back when you were in that Christian university and how conservative it was. And to know that, like the like the majority of students and faculty are supportive of queer people, very supportive to the point where they're doing these protests and making. And it was just I guess I couldn't imagine this in an evangelical institution. I wasn't yeah. imagining this sort of thing happening and taking place. I don't know that it's happening in a lot of places, but I think maybe the Seattle culture, I don't know what's in the water over there, or what's happening. I, I even wonder to like, I have a curiosity with how Mars Hill plays into evangelical culture out in Seattle, like meaning that you guys have had some serious, badly damaged 
you know, people who have seen the, the BS right locally um, from people oh, yeah. taking it in dangerous ways being a hub of that of that whole that whole scenario and then having to be very critical uh, about evangelical culture within the evangelicals in Seattle. Like, I, I wonder how much that has played into the, your alma mater being, you know, located in Seattle and the direction that they've gone throughout the years, like that gradual shift, because it doesn't happen everywhere. And to see like anyway, I just I'd encourage people to go check out that episode because it was very inspiring and it, it was your alma mater. And and I it gave me hope. It gave me hope that change can happen from the inside. And I generally don't believe that. But that story was one of those really. I mean, I was Nate and I do a lot of long distance driving because we're dating long distance. I live in Montreal in Canada. He lives in New York City. He lives in New Jersey near New York City. So we do five and a half hour drives <laughs> every week. One of us is driving. So we're always like, here, check out this podcast episode. And we're giving each other suggestions. And that one was the one I listened to on my last drive. I'm like, Nate, you got to check this out. This was this was really good. One so, of the yeah. things we didn't cover on that that I do think has an effect on the change inside the culture of the university is is that there was a school shooting there oh. um like seven ish years ago something like I that i did not know that that's kind of significant hmm. yeah and you know a lot of the professors that are there now were there then and and it really threw everybody there and and i haven't really talk with them about if they see a connection between that and waking up to some extent to the ways that that the school had been backwards and unnecessarily unaffirming and things like that but i mm. i ha i have to think that there that there's something to that in mm. in making the folks with the power to change sort of reassess their their values and how to best care for students well, thank wow. you for covering that story. And yeah, like I'm saying to everyone else, Seattle Pacific University, fascinating story. Go check out, go check out uh, Veterans of Culture War, SPU um, episode. Very great. Um, but I want to get back to Mars Hill because like I said, we started, I started following you because you took down a mega church. And for people who don't know, know your story, maybe, okay, before we get to that, to how you took it down or what your role was in that, I know, you know, it was probably a group effort. <laughs> I'm sure you're not claiming to be the one who took down right. Mars Hill, but I know you played a very significant role with what you were doing online. Um, but before we get there, maybe give us a bit about like, you did you grow up evangelical? This was your, this was your, your milieu. It was your, were your parents on Mars Hill? Did you drift there on your own how did that all come about how did you land yeah, at Marshall? so i i was um raised evangelical uh, uh vineyard and four square churches um the pastor of our vineyard had come up from calvary chapel costa mesa i believe that there, there was a connection to like the original church oh, okay. that kicked off the whole jesus people movement in the 70s wow um and i think my parents were part of the core group that that helped found that up up in the Seattle area and um went to Christian school at, at run by a Baptist church for uh kindergarten through ninth grade my uh my parents went to SPU they they both got uh music degrees there and taught in public schools for a bit as music teachers and I only recently thought about that like parents being public school teachers is not a common part of the backstory mm. of of people that I have on my show that were raised evangelical as mm. as 
public schools are such a, a scary thing to so many evangelical right. parents yeah. that usually that's a marker of you had a different sort of childhood than me if your parents were public school teachers. But that didn't last too long because they soon started a uh, a business of like providing uh, music and arts materials for worship pastors and churches and stuff. So if if you ever acted in uh, in the, the, the Christmas play... Maybe, okay, I know you guys. I heard you guys talking about salty on one of your episodes. Did you guys do GT and the Halo Express? That's what I'm curious about because that's the one I'm I familiar with. GT and you the are Halo familiar Express. With GT? That um, is- we did not <laughs> perform that, but yeah, no, I grew up like in my spare time listening to the demo cassettes we had of kids' musicals for churches, and and I worked there off and on growing up. Like like if I wanted to make some money, I could stamp envelopes or or collate or. I started doing like accounting <laughs> accounts receivable. And then, and then like, I got like an actual job at my parents' business doing like shipping and stuff in college. It was a, an easy way to, to do stuff between classes and stuff. Uh, and so I'd like load up my schedule for three days a week and work there two days. And, um, and were yeah, you like, so they, were you passionate about all of this? Like, was your faith something to you when you were younger that you really felt sincere about that was meaningful to you? Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, I, I felt sincere about it, but it wasn't until Mars Hill that I felt like I connected, that it connected with me in Mm. the specific church experience. I was not a raise your hands guy. I was not into the, the hyper emotional type of stuff with, with the uh, charismatic churches. I didn't want to speak in tongues. Um, and, and so like I was never Marcel charismatic at all? Did no, they do any of that? No. no okay. Okay. No, okay. No. All right. Um, they Didn't weren't. Think so, but I don't think they were fully cessationist. But okay. they were not. No. Like there were there were elders that spoke in tongues there. Um, okay. But it was not something that they pushed mm-hmm. on people or did publicly or anything like that. I just assume if they're in with the Gospel Coalition, they're probably not too not too charismatic. It's <laughs> just right. a different camp. But, <laughs> I mean, Mark's theology is pretty slippery, yeah. as he markets himself to different yeah. people yeah he definitely exactly. is a good marketer yeah totally i yeah i mean we can get into that that's <laughs> that's a part um, of it yeah. but so, uh, so how did the switchover happen yeah so so a few things um and i i, I like to also point out that like this, this is how like involved it was like i i went with my dad one year to the christian booksellers association's annual conference because it was in anaheim that year and so we could go to Disneyland in the evenings. Ooh. But, you know, I met Carmen. I, I met DC Talk. Oh, I met, that I was met my all... band growing up. DC Talk was the one mm. I was obsessed with. Obsessed oh, sure. With... My, uh, my like parents' I business put on a big conference every year. And, like, <laughs> Stephen Curtis Chapman performed there before he was big. Uh, and, it's you know, you, you mentioned Salty. I was more of a Colby guy, Colby the computer. Um, oh. But, um, yeah, you know, like, I met, like, the heads of, of publishing companies who like came out from Nashville to this event and stuff. And like my dad knew them all by name. And, you know, we'd walk the floors of the convention and say hi to everybody. And I got to know these people. And, um, so when I was, when I, this is like when I was 14, uh, when I was 15, I got cancer and it was a very lethal form. Um, and you know, very, you know, early internet times, this is, 97 the doctors mm. told my parents do not look this up <laughs> wow don't don't oh, don't try to learn anything about this um it was a single tumor on my foot 
it's usually on hands and if it's on your hands you're losing a hand uh they took out like a third of my foot replaced it with flesh from my back told me if it ever came back with like a single cell i'd lose my leg below the knee and um that surgery was my what would have been my second day of of high school in a public school so i, wow. I had 10 years of christian school one day of public school then massive surgery missed a month and uh you know i was getting letters wishing me to do better get well from like the heads of these publishing companies that i'd met the previous year and stuff like um they were nice folks and uh but i i think from that i i developed a real serious outlook on life and the future and goals and the sort of stuff that kind of set me up for somebody like Mark to, mm. to come in. Um, he, in, in a lot of ways, his, his, his non theological parts of his message, which was a lot of that was, was a proto Jordan Peterson, uh, sort That's of a, pull your pants up, man. Yeah. There's a lot of ex-Mars Hill folks that still liked Mark that um, became fans of Jordan Peterson. Yeah, mm. not and a big surprise. Yeah, we, you know, having having seen Mars Hill collapse in 2014, I I saw the rise of Trump as uh, another iteration of what I saw with Mark and the mm. Jordan Peter stuff. Peterson stuff was very reminiscent of Mark. I just I see Mark all over now. Yeah, um, yeah. You got so a, you I, got some up close experience with what what that kind of guy look like what a narcissistic white guy with craving yeah. power looks like. Yeah. And I will say, I wanted to note, cause you, when you were saying earlier about like the, the overabundance of white men in this space, um, when, when Dave approached me about doing this podcast, uh, I reached out to Stephanie Drury who we've had on the podcast a couple times. Uh, she, her social media stuff is under st stuff. Christian culture likes, which, Sounds like a, a very surfacey, jokey thing, but is is really about taking down the patriarchy and such. And and I was like, you know, Stephanie, what do, what do you think? Does 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 the world need another white guys talking podcast at all? And she's like, well, what it doesn't need is an untherapized talking white guys <laughs> podcast. Mm. Yeah, and yeah. I and I had done some therapy at that point, and and I was like, okay. Well, I guess I guess that means I'm in the clear, <laughs> and, and and it wasn't entirely. You know, we've we've learned things as we've done it. You know, as simple as you know, I created a meme the other day with that like exp the exploding brain thing, where it's like starting an evangelical podcast, realizing your podcast is about white evangelicalism, because that's the vast majority of, right, that of was evangelicalism our in this country. Mm -hmm. Realizing that your podcast is about uh, white Christian nationalism, realizing your podcast is about how purity culture, white Christian nationalism and toxic masculinity like intersect and feed each other to support mm -hmm. the patriarchy, you know, like having these conversations and doing these stuff, I've kind of realized, uh, well, it's, it's reconfirmed my, my findings that there, there is inherent toxicity in evangelical uh theology and mm. the experience of being raised evangelical and mm. i ultimately think that on on the whole uh evangelicalism is bad for the world 
Um, I mean, we're right there with you. I didn't, I mean, nobody, I feel like nobody starts there. You know, you, you, and a lot of the people who leave are the ones who are so passionately involved. I know you were involved at church. We were all, I mean, Nate and I were both on pastoral staff at some point. So we were really, and I was a woman on pastoral staff, which is, which is a marker in patriarchal churches to even, yeah, I think Blake Blake Chastain says, you know, we're the youth group graduates. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and yeah. So like, you know, you, you go through that and then you, you want to change things from the inside and you, and you're trying to figure it out. And eventually you just realize like this whole thing is, it's, it's too far gone and it's, um, it's really bad. Like it's, it's actually harming people. Yeah. And, um, so yeah, you going back to your story. Um, yeah, yeah, I can, I can get us to, to that point. Um, so, so essentially, uh, you know, not not long after starting high school and all that, I, I finally sort of found my people because I was in a large pool. And so I was like, oh, man, like the punk kids, that's who I'm connecting with. That's who I relate to. And uh, so friends were in- introducing me to music and stuff that I never would have heard at, at the Christian school. And um, so I started going to all ages shows all the time. Mars Hill was running an all ages a club called the paradox that was to my mind the like the last truly altruistic thing they did for the city of seattle because there was a, a ridiculous law in the books making it ex- extremely expensive for anybody to have all ages shows um this this massive uh insurance requirement and this weird super cop friendly policy of any all ages show has to have an off-duty cop there but the cops don't have to show up if they say they will and then they can show up and say you don't have a cop here we're shutting you down um Mm. but churches were exempt and so mars hill one of the elders not mark one of the three founding preachers like bought this old uh like 1920s movie theater like single screen in uh in the university district and they turned it into an all-ages music venue uh not for christian bands to play at uh, and, and then on Sundays they did church there. And so I was going there for a year before I had any knowledge of a church being involved with it. Um, mm. so they weren't really started, using it just to push the church because you, it took you a whole year to even figure that part out. Yeah, no, it wasn't. I mean, bands that played there, you know, talking to the bookers and stuff behind the scenes, they would figure it out, but it was not, there was no bait and switch. There was no, well, we've all had a good time here tonight, but while you're here, before you go, let's talk about my guy, JC. Mm-hmm. None of that. <laughs> um, and, and like, there was a recording studio upstairs and, like, like bands that are not Christians were, like, recording records there and stuff. Like, it was a, it was a really neat space and, and a space that otherwise was not available to the under 21 music fans in the city for a, for a period of time. Um, and so I, I really appreciated that. And when I started going to SPU, um, you know, there's this period of, you know, try, you know, the students will go and like try out the local churches. You know, I was from the area, but being on the other side of Lake Washington, the East side as, as, as we call it, um, you know, going into Seattle was, was you know something you do on on the weekends and evenings and you know uh i I wasn't about to be like like attending a a church not in my neighborhood so so when i started going to spu started checking out the other churches and all somebody had to say was hey 
The Paradox is run by a church. The drummer from Roadside Monument plays worship there. We're going to go. You want to go with us? Yes. Hmm. <laughs> and, uh, and I was hooked right away. And I don't recall if Mark was even preaching that. I was 18. Okay. It was 2000. And before he blew up. Oh, yeah. There was there was only a couple hundred people there at the time. Two, wow. three hundred, something like that. Um, How long? And, you know, it eventually going, became like, what's that? How long do you think Mars Hill had been going when you showed up on the scene? Like four, three and a half years, something. I mean, like okay. from it's like very initial, like core okay. group in a house sort of thing. OK, um, they, they'd gone through a couple uh, locations. Um, so take us to what year was this when you showed up at Mars Hill? This is two, this is 2000. Okay. Uh, fall of 2000. And so I pretty quickly got, got plugged in there. I started volunteering at the paradox. Um, started going to, uh, 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 the weekly home group of one of the main bands there. Um, yeah, like a lot of my social circle and interlapped, uh, over overlapped with uh, that or, or was based around that. And it felt exciting that, you know, Mark specifically was trying to pull in young creative men who would be eventual high income earners to, to tithe large amounts, but he was using their artistry and cultural cachet to form a community that was, uh, interesting and, and a magnet for, for young arty people. You know, the tagline of the church at the time was meaning, beauty, truth, community. Hmm. And I was like, yes, 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 yes. And, and, you know, his sermons were like over an hour long. I was used to like 25 minute, like really basic, like just reminding us that Jesus loves you sort of sermons. Uh, And then, you know, the Jesus boyfriend music stuff. And this is like, you know, folks in, in punk bands that I like, you know, I, I say punk's not like generic three chord skate punk or whatever, but you know, DIY <laughs> culture. Yeah. Uh, uh, folks, you know, writing their own, you know, all the music they played there, they wrote except for a few old hymns that they did new, uh, uh, new iterations uh of. Ar- arrangements of, um, but otherwise they were writing all their own stuff. It was good. Uh, actually my very first encounter with them was, my dad got their their first CD sent to him um, at, at the shop and he gave it to me and was like, this is weird. You might like it. <laughs> <laughs> he knew. He knew your taste. Yeah. 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 And so that was probably like 99, actually. So I think I probably that when I when I heard people were going to there and they said Marcy was like, oh, yeah, OK, that CD. Um, so you show up in 2000. The church collapses in 2015. Where is your exit point and where do things start? 2009 is your exit point. Where do yeah. things start to turn from? This place is a place I love to, I, like you left in 2009, but where did the start of that for you become uncomfortable? And I don't know. Um, your eyes I mean, started the, to open the, up. the start for me as somebody that is not really interested in, in mass experiences like like i'd so much rather see a tiny band in a basement with 25 other people than go to an arena and watch them from a mile away on a screen and so when marso got 
their big building, their warehouse building in Ballard in um, summer of 2002. Um, one, I somehow was able to buy a house up the street from there um, mm. because he very quickly got into my head like being a man. That's what you do as a man, like, right? Like, like yeah. if you want to yeah. be yeah. a so dude... I, yeah, I convinced my parents to refinance their house and loan me wow. the down payment for wow. this. You know, it was, you know, before the big financial collapse. So they'd mm-hmm. hand out a loan to anybody. And so I got a space. Uh, I got a house up the street from where the, the Mars Hill uh, big building was going to open up a few months later. Marketed online as like walking distance to Mars Hill, looking looking for like Mars Hill people to live with us. Wow. No sex allowed. Um, <laughs> that was really in the advertisement. It was, it was, wow, it may not have been in the advertisement, but it was in the contract that my roommates oh, had wow. to sign. Oh, wow! Um, <laughs> which so I think, wait, you, you so you bought the house and then you put up some rooms for rent. Yeah, and that's okay. Yeah, it was uh, okay. a five bedroom house, so the mortgage got paid by me having all yeah. the rooms filled with with friends. So you wrote up that contract about the no sex. No one. One of the. One of my parents' friends through through work um, had done some property management before, and so she just like for free like helped put this together for me. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, I remember when I when I put up the the ad at before the big building opened up in in their other Ballard location. Um, Mark walked by and and saw me putting that up. He says, "Ah, you know what that is? A wife magnet." Of course. Yeah. Of course you would say that. <laughs> that sounds very Mark Driscoll. Uh, yeah. It, it, didn't, it didn't work out quite that way, but um, a bunch of my roommates got married, and I was like, come on. I'm You're the You're like, this house. isn't, this formula is not working how <laughs> yeah. I thought it would work. Yeah. I'm the owner of this place. <laughs> so, yeah, once it started, like, getting big like that, I was like, it's not really my thing, but I still think that what's happening here is like a movement of god or whatever and it's mm-hmm. exciting and we're trailblazing and growing and if it's growing it has to be good right right and that's um, sort of what <laughs> kept a lot of people with their eyes closed right like that line of the seeing the growth as some sort of a proof that god is at work is probably one of those things that kept a lot of people yeah i mean a big blinded? thing for me you know uh, along along with the ballard building opening up they closed the paradox and that that was a real bummer to see. I mean, the laws had changed, making it l- less of a required um, gift to the community. Like other people could have all ages venues. So I got it. It never was making money, um, but it was an outreach to young folks in Seattle that actually made sense. Um, and. Um, so I, I, you know, I valued my friends there. I valued my community. I, I cared more about going to the weekly home groups than the Sunday services. Mm. I mean, there was a time when I was going to the Sunday service twice. I'd go to watch Mark preach in the morning and then go see a different location because my favorite band would be playing at that one. Um, and, you know, like Mark didn't always preach. Um, mm. he, you know, eventually he kind of pushed out the other two founding pastors and he became the only one preaching especially once technology allowed for them to yeah. to 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 do that you know at first it was like physically driving a dvd of the sermon after he'd preached the first one you <laughs> yeah. know um but yeah uh, so, so i was like okay you know like mark says like 
crazy stuff now and then, but it's, that's just weird Uncle Mark, and I just sort of excuse it because I didn't care as much about his preaching as I did the community itself. 2007, Do you think your community had that same vibe as you? Did they feel like Mark just says weird, crazy things and we just dismiss it because that's just Mark? Like, do, like you were finding some stuff a little odd and like weird Uncle Markish, but like, did was that a common thought among other people if you chat about what Mark said or not really? Uh, a lot of us like would say weird, Mar- weird Uncle Mark. Like, like, okay. <laughs> like a lot of us like had that phrase that we'd use. Uh-huh. Um, so it, it wasn't uncommon. But it it became a real sticking point for me. So in in, in two thousand seven, there was an incident where he he fired a couple folks that that were not on board with his plan to consolidate all the power with was that himself. Jeff Petrie and uh, Brent uh, Meyer? Paul, Paul Paul Petrie, Paul Petrie and Petrie. Brent Meyer. I ran into Bent the other day getting a contacts prescription. Um, <laughs> he gave me his business card and he was like, have you read Jesus and John Wayne? I was like, I have interviewed her. Maybe <laughs> we should talk. Um, Cause he, yeah, he, he doesn't want to talk about his Mars Hill stuff, but right. um, his, his involved their involvement there was pretty important. So yeah, the two of them got fired. They shouldn't have, you know, I was hearing stores, you know, Mark, Mark was like slashing guys salaries, 40%. If, if they were like telling him he should stop, being such a jerk wow. <laughs> in meetings, you know, like, like he really was laying down behind the scenes, this law of like, he was showing, I get to do whatever I want. Yeah. yeah. Mm. It was bad. And, and I wasn't hearing about all the ways that it was bad at the time, but it was bad. And 2007, that incident is when the congregation was starting to get a sense that the behind the scenes things were not were good. And is that where he did his famous, I mean, you know, the bus is going to run over people and uh, you either get on the bus or you get run over by it, right? Was it yeah, right he, after he, that? Yeah, he preached that like immediately after firing them. I think Paul has talked about like not – like it happened so quickly that he didn't even understand that he'd been fired when he heard Mark talk about that. And he was like, boy, didn't realize whoever he was he's referring to. <laughs> <laughs> that poor guy. Oops. Oops, yeah. that was me. Um, I, I think I recall him saying that. But, but yeah, they did this whole thing. Like there was such an uproar that they did this. this they opened up a forum thread on their internal social media site um, that they developed. Um, well, that one guy developed and they like sold to Zondervan and kept most of the profit. Oh, was that um, the city? Yeah. Yeah. My old church used that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, there's another guy named Zach that developed that. I forget his last name now, but yeah, oh. there was a guy that, that created it. They, they, they threw him a bone. They gave they gave him a check, but they considered it their property when they sold mm-hmm. it. Um, and so they opened up a, a, a thread on there and said, you know, it was ask your elders anything, you know, for the next 48 hours or something, write whatever you want. We will go through all of these. We will put together responses to all of them. And, uh, yeah, we will be open and honest. And, and I just wrote, Hey, I've been going here a long time. I, this community matters to me. Um, increasingly Mark keeps saying things that he has to apologize for. He keeps stepping out of line or whatever. And, 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 and I find now that I kind of cringe whenever somebody asks me what church I go to, and I'm getting tired of having to defend having to defend Mark all the time. I'm fine defending Jesus, but I'm having to defend Mark. Um, so I, I just want to know: is he saying these things on purpose that that hoping that the controversy will drive traffic? Mm. Is it a marketing strategy, uh, or or is he really 
just, you know, um, screwing up. Okay. Uh, you know, it's, it's a slip of the tongue. What and do you think it is now, looking back? Oh, I know what it is now. It's marketing. He, he, he put out a, a, a blog post where he gave it a term. He, well, for one thing, in their response, they did not answer that question. Hmm. But he answered it when he blogged and said that he does this thing called riot evangelism. Yeah. Where he likes wow. to just go and throw bombs. That. And uh, then everybody has to, like, wade through the carnage. And, uh, you know, he has, you know, staff and all these people at church that help, like, triage or whatever. I forget all the other wow. uses of the word. but And so I'm like, oh, okay. So he's not... Like I, I was asking, is Mark like stepping on landmines and do we need to help him get better at that? Uh, I'm like, nope, he's not stepping on landmines. He's throwing bombs. He's throwing them. Wow. And so, but their response in, in the large document that came back and I, and I, I've since talked with the elder that actually wrote the response to me on this. Um, and that was a very good conversation, but, um, the response, and I was the only one that got this. They just said, Hey, uh, if you're having trouble defending your pastor, you should probably find a different church. Huh. <laughs> and, and like, they're the ones t like, I signed a contract. You're the guys talking about this as, as a marriage, <laughs> you yeah. know, membership, but, yeah, the covenant, covenant, covenant membership. Yeah. membership yeah. That was a All big Mars stuff. Hill thing, right? Like oh, it was yeah. like you yeah. were married to the church. This is your, yep. your permanent commitment. Had to take classes, had to have interviews, do all this stuff. So and who told then, you that, that you need to find a new church? It was the guy, it was in the document that they wrote back as a response? Yeah, it was like so, the former executive elder there. So that sounded um, like, when you heard that, like it's very conflicting with everything you sort of thought about what that meant to be part of Mars Hill. Like that must have been a very strange thing to read after you had signed Covenant yeah, and taken it, classes. Yeah, it really threw me for a loop. Um so I stayed there for two more years because they opened up a small campus that was closer to where I lived and that ended up basically being all my old friends from the Paradox started going oh, okay. there. They like even brought the old candelabras that they'd used there. The The campus pastor was somebody we knew from there. Um, so it was like doing the Paradox all over again. And my 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 favorite band from the Mars Hill years from from, from like the big church and, and before that, like they had broken up and and one of the members of that band and his wife and another friend of ours started a band for this new location. And we did that for about a year. And then in 2009, while we were recording, um, the the married couple had got the word that their their toddler had leukemia um and it was like the last day of rec like of recording we were gonna we had like scratch vocals but we didn't have like the real vocals and um band's done <laughs> like we are like obviously need to focus on the health stuff so yeah. um band was over and at the same time uh a friend from that location was was launching an Acts 29 church. Mm. And I believe it was the only Acts 29 church in the Seattle city limits, um, essentially because like Mars Hill had like non-compete yeah. issues, but like the guy launching it had like lived in Mark's basement. Um, they were buddies. So he probably got some special um, deal to be able to yeah. do that. I don't, I don't know. But um, so basically 
within within two months of that event occurring, the whole band moved to this Acts twenty nine church. Did you go with I, them? I, yeah, yeah. We all we all sort of like individually made the decision to leave. I, I remember like standing in in church. Um, it would have been a few weeks after Easter. The last time we played together was the Easter service, and um, watching somebody else play, and just I probably had a panic attack, but wow. I just remember, I just like audibly said, like I just like looked around and said, "I got to get out of here," <laughs> mm. and that wow. was like the last thing I said to anybody wow. in that in that church, um, yeah. and yeah, yeah, I'm. Cu- Sorry, uh, um, I, I'm curious a little bit. Like, if we could pause here for for a couple minutes, um, because all of the other churches that I've been to, even the um, Acts 29 church that I was a part of, um, the the bands were the the church band, and you would sort of rotate, you know, drummers and rotate, yeah, yeah. you know, guitarists and bassists and singers. Yeah. It was glorified Jeez. karaoke, right? Right. Um, and even you know even at Hillsong when I was there after um, after emergence, it was the same sort of thing that you the the band as talented as these musicians were always sort of you know melted into the brand of of the church. Um, it seemed like from from the outside looking in that Mars Hill was a little different than that um, in that the the each band sort of stayed together some of them even had names um yeah they all had names oh okay yeah yeah my my favorite was this band team strike force uh and and that's a great name (laughs) that had uh jeff from from 90 pound wuss and raft of dead monkeys and suffering in the hideous thieves uh various like tooth and nail related stuff yeah and 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 matt from roadside monument and his wife played keys um yeah, I mean, it was like real people that did real bands that toured outside of church. And it wasn't people that like grew up writing worship songs. It was guys mm-hmm. that knew how to write good songs and the church could use some music. So they're like, I don't know, let's try out writing worship songs. So like that band, like I, I went to their home group and basically they, our home group went like a month ahead of whatever Mark was preaching on. And then they'd write songs that would be ready by the time he landed on that, that point or whatever. And they weren't like constantly writing new songs, mm-hmm. but you know, we were writing all our own stuff and, uh, and there was great musicians there. And, you know, toward, towards the end when like Mark was consolidating his power and really making sure that the like women cannot do man things, uh, became, uh, pervasive through everything. Like, he sh- he shut down a band that that the that uh, Matt's wife Rose um, was was doing, and they were incredible musicians. Like the drummer in that band, now he's in the National. He's he's played with Sufjan oh, Stevens. He played on the last okay. few Taylor Swift albums. Like he's a really legit musician. Was the and problem was his wife stuff. was was too forward it, in the band? She was doing too the, much. In 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 that in that band, Rose was the leader of the band. Oh, you um, have women team, leaders. Team Strike Force. She wasn't. Mm-hmm. She she played piano and 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 sang backing vocals in Team Strike Force. But then she she left and started this other band, Sons of Thunder, 
and I'm, they and they got shut down because she was a woman leading the band. So wild! Like I'm always fascinated to see because patriarchy, well, patri- just patriarchy, <laughs> just goes throughout evangelicalism. But I'm always curious to see like where what the lines are, and it always changes from church to church. Like some, yeah. it's just like they can't be the senior pastor. Some, it's they can't teach either. Some, it's and like that's another level. Like you can't even sing in the band, you know. And sometimes that's even a murky one. Like um, in in my old church. You know, they didn't have that rule per se, but then like some families were very conservative, were very bothered if they felt like a woman was too upfront, you know, and in the and it was like it just it's so weird. Like that stuff looking back now, it's just um it's gross, you know, it's sad. It's sad as women to see how how much that fight to keep women out of using their gifts and talents and skills was so normalized and became such a part of the culture. And yeah, at Mars Hill, I feel like that's a huge piece of Mars Hill culture was the way women were were so oh, yeah. horribly. There, there was a woman in my band there, and 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 she, you know, she got in trouble for like gesticulating in a way that made people uncomfortable or something, or like just wow. kind of moving to the music in a way people didn't like. Wow, um, it, it's funny. Um, just sticking on that topic for a little bit, um, how you know when when I was at Hillsong, one of the things that drew me there was the the fact that women were up front, they had women preaching, the right. pastors were always the husband and wife were given the title of pastors. Um, of course, behind the scenes, you know, who's really in charge. But um, one of the things that I, you know, finding out after leaving Hillsong, one of the rules that apparently was in place, um, I have yet to, to verify it with people who would be in the know. And I have some connections, I just haven't really tapped them yet. But um one one of the rules that I heard about um, and I heard some of the fallout from was that um, if the male worship leader on a particular Sunday um, was playing guitar, the female worship leader could not have a guitar as well. You so so the the woman had to, you know, be holding the mic while the man was the one playing the guitar and then eventually so it started more morphing manly if he's yeah. playing the guitar instead <laughs> that started morphing into um they they were trying to minimize the number of women who led worship with a guitar i think there were only two or three in the rotation in hillsong new york city who um were able to play guitar and of course, when Brooke Frazier came around, she could because she's Brooke Frazier. You know, you can't you can't take the guitar away from Brooke Frazier. I don't but know who then, she is. D- did they um, have a requirement that somebody play acoustic guitar and somebody play electric guitar? There, it wasn't a stated requirement, but they to often me that would is a roster. Terrible combination. <laughs> <laughs> they often would roster. But here's the other thing too: is that whoever was mixing was was highly controlling mm. of the the blend right so even if you had an acoustic guitar up on stage um if it was let's say if it was a united song or if it was a young and free song it was very rare that you would even hear the acoustic um turn down that volume you're yeah. on stage singing but we yeah. don't hear you yeah um <laughs> Wait, and then the same thing with the, vocal. the, the vocals got to be way up always oh well yeah and then the sorry um, i'm gonna go back to something is brooke frazier the one that did oceans was that brooke no that was that was taya smith uh brooke was the one who wrote hosanna oh okay um which then like every other church did for like 20 years after that Mm. i'm sure they're still doing it on palm sundays um but then what was the what did i um 
acoustics oh, and mixing. It, it, so, so one little anecdote. There was one worship leader who didn't play guitar, um, but he kept getting rostered with women who could play guitar. Um, but they wanted to, from what I understood, they were trying to enforce that rule. So they, they started teaching him guitar so that he could play while he was singing. Um, (laughs) yeah. Wow. That's intense. uh, Yeah. All right. Then they could take the guitar away from the, from the woman. Anyway. Of course. Patriarchy I just thought that was fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. So you guys have that going down down in, in some <laughs> ugly ways at Mars Hill. You had some of that patriarchy getting into the musician stuff, taking away it from your friends who you respected. Um, so I'm, I guess one of the questions I had at this part in your story is your friend group, your home group, the church that you had started attending that was the, the former Paradox people, were you guys, I mean, before you left and to go to this new Acts 29 church, were you all on the same page of like, Mars Hill's getting really weird. We need to get out of here. Like, was it a group a group thing where all of you were sort of like, were you alone in, in your like, I just, this place is, you had your panic attack. Did other people, were you having those conversations with the people around you that something was off or wasn't, it, it wasn't sinking in at that point? Yes and no. If we'd been able to really have those conversations, we wouldn't have ended up at a Acts 29 church probably. I mean, everybody was calling that baby Mars Hill. It, it mm. The fact that it was like all, uh, so the, the the small Mars Hill location was ex-Paradox people. And then the Acts 29 church was also ended up being a lot of ex-Paradox people. Okay. Uh, like, like it was, it was all people that had left Mars Hill. And, and a lot of it was just, yeah, the emphasis on Mark, the, how big it's all become, like, the, like renting out the stadium where the Seahawks played or do Easter and stuff like that. Oh, just, I remember that. Just people are just not down with, being part of that. Um, and so it was a while before the conversation shifted into like, I'm thinking reform theology is not cool. Mm. And then friends started leaving the, the Acts 29 church. Um, how long did you end up we, staying there yourself at that? I was there for five years. Okay. And, and so that's where I was leading worship. I was Right. Was, you was know, that doing your, all these... your base your base camp for taking down Mars Hill? Was, were you in that church while you were doing doing those? I was in that church while doing it. Yeah. When I told the pastor that we're about to launch this website and and that I'm mentioning him in the essay that I'm putting up with my name on it, he was like, Yeah, maybe take me out of there. Huh. <laughs> uh... <laughs> uh, but yeah, yeah. I mean basically we there was an escalating series of 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 public issues at Mars Hill with with Mark's plagiarism with the misuse of when tithing did the plagiarism money. Ha- like when did that I know that one was a huge one in fact I regret never talking about that on our first episode that we did because mm. I feel like you know anyone who was still like trying 20, to 2013 2014 I feel like 2013, the collapse, not too long the, after that. The collapse, they, the collapse was 2014. The collapse was 2014. Yeah. Or 2015. Yeah. Yeah. 2014 into 2015. Because um, I remember it was around the same time that I left my X29 church. All of that news was really, you know, building. It was 2014. Uh, yeah. Was, and I, I left. finally collapsed. Yeah. I left Emergence in 2014. I mean, if so, you look it up, it says remember, it collapsed on January 1st, but I feel like it is started to fall oh, apart in the fall. That's just that's just a legal thing. The legal thing. Yeah. <laughs> it closed yeah, no, its doors in probably no. August or something, right? Yeah, like Mark yeah. Mark quit August or early September. Okay. Um, mm. We 
we published, I just made myself like a reminder to like tweet the anniversary of posting this. Um, <laughs> it's like July 29th, I think is when, when I posted the William Wallace document. Um, oh. Had and, you started your website dealing yeah, with Mars yeah, the, Hill? Yeah. Okay. So we, we ran this website for about six months. Um, so basically you're like, okay, we have come to the position that it would be best if people left Mars Hill and it is not a healthy thing and not good for people. I was still generally on board with the theology, hadn't really started deconstructing, but it was, it was enough to say that it's, it's a, an abusive toxic culture that were is people coming to you least... with their stories, like individual stories that were really starting to filter in to you, like to, to make you inspired. I mean, to do I this? had lots of talks with people and there was various Facebook groups where people were, were talking about some of this stuff, but, but ultimately the, the website came about uh, from a realization that, that people weren't going to leave Mars Hill if they didn't trust any of the stories they were reading about what's going on at Mars Hill. Stories from the um, outside they were suspicious of. The, exactly. You know, mm -hmm. all you know, like the local alternative weeklies and stuff had always right. written pieces that were negative about Mark and Mars Hill. And Mark had cultivated a sense of distrust of outsiders where, you know, he wrote that book, Doctrine. So clearly he knows what is right and what is wrong. And oh, he's the every other anecdotic... Doctrine, everyone. <laughs> oh, yeah. He wrote a and book. And he'd tell us these, uh, these anecdotes all the time about, oh, I had, to, had a meeting with local pastors and these crazies are talking about this and that and this. And, yeah. and it was Mark all like... claim that he read one book a day? Didn't he have like stories oh, yeah. like... <laughs> yeah, and I, you know, at first I believed that, uh, which is just a crazy thing to have believed. But... Um, but it just felt like as soon as you step outside these walls, it's dangerous and a slippery slope to uh, blasphemy or whatever, uh, apostasy. I mean, that and makes so sense you got to stay here. Why you would have. It was scary. When you left, it would have made sense that, you know, before you even started to deconstruct, you would have needed to go into a place that was somewhat under the umbrella. of. Oh, yeah. If you were so afraid, if he'd done so much indoctrinating into other churches and what they're like and how bad they yeah. are. Going to that X-29 church was like, okay, we'll have the correct theology. This is a safe place to go to mm -hmm. for my soul, um, um, but we'll we'll see. And um, so so basically, we, we knew that people weren't reading the stuff that was being published about Mars Hill. Mm. Uh, we knew that Rachel Held Evans could criticize them till the cows come home, and they wouldn't pay any mind to that. Mm. Um, and so... Some some friends started talking, and we were like, "Let's let's put a website together where we tell our stories of how we feel that God brought us to Mars Hill, and that God brought us out of Mars Hill, and put our names on it." And you know, all of Mark's talk about you know, like we got like anonymous bloggers writing this and that, and we're like, "No, like here's who we are, and we've been there long enough that if you're reading this, you probably know who we are or have a friend that knows who we are. Or, That's kind know, of or, a big you know, deal. Knows us. In oh, a yeah. survivor like the, community, to stick your name on something is kind of a, especially with such a bully who had so much weight like Mark Driscoll, choosing yeah. to to do that, to put and your that, name And that was, that was the deal that we had to make with everybody that sent stuff in. Like, you got to be willing to put your name on this. Mm. Um and, you know, we'd vet the stories as well as we could, you know, reach mm -hmm. out to a mutual friend and be like, yeah, it is, you know, 
is what they're telling us what went down with them yes okay we'll put it out and and it became very quickly a, a trusted site for people on the inside to share amongst themselves and they were willing to read it and the whole goal was to have people recognize their stories in other people so you know in in some ways it's a precursor to to these podcast conversations where we just have people on and they tell their stories and people listening that maybe at the beginning of deconstructing or, or, or in a, in a toxic church environment or whatever, like maybe recognize their stories there. Now, Dave's goal in the podcast is not to have people leave their faith. Um, And I'm not going to say that that's necessarily my goal, just as, you know, you know, Blake, I already mentioned him once, but Blake Chastain, you know, yeah. coining the, the the term ex-evangelicals, you know, that's that's not a final landing identification. That's that's a term that you're free to apply to yourself as long as it makes sense for you, you know? Right. And so telling stories, recognizing our own stories in them and help having that in turn help us understand ourselves and continue on our journey is a powerful thing. And, you, and I learned that running... from doing that. Sorry, I'm just going to say that doing that, doing that site, and we called it We Love Mars Hill. Um, to what was really the title get the point of the across. website? It was called We Love Mars Hill. At first, we were going to say We Are Mars Hill because it was this like, we are old timers that like built this community. Mars Hill is not just Mark. And we, we were talking with a friend that had a um, an advertising agency and like, what do you what do you think about this name? And he suggested changing R to love. And and we had people that were like questioning our motives, like, ah, you call yourselves we love Mars Hill. You you clearly hate Mars Hill or you wouldn't be doing this. Mm. And like we we built this community with with you guys that are that are probably reading this. Like we've been there a long time. It matters to us. We have relationships with people there. We love Mars Hill. We recognize that Mars Hill is more than Mark Driscoll. Mm. And we don't think Mark should be the pastor. I don't think he should have ever been a pastor. Um and so, yeah, we're not joking when we say we love Mars Hill. Um, and and so I think people got that and it meant something to them. And going through the submissions and dealing with that was heavy. And, you know, ultimately, I finally ended up, ended up going to therapy after after that and and changing to a Nazarene church for a few years. So um, that website was a, was a was a key part of your your own movement and your own growth and your own deconstruction and your own coming like it was a way of processing oh, even yeah. deeper what happened at Mars Hill as you're listening to people's stories. And I've gone back and read the story I wrote on there and I I wouldn't stand by it anymore. <laughs> like I have a different perspective mm-hmm. on things. Um but uh it was it was powerful and it was really neat to do and and so out of that you know so people people were reading that people were sharing it people were leaving people were were submitting stories to us there was clearly like movement happening and then we started talking about okay remember back in 2000 so when i like a month after i started going there remember that those forum posts where mark used this other identity He's basically just trying to sound like Tyler Durden from Fight Club, and he like said all that insane crap in How character. How did you know it was Mark Driscoll? That was this was the William Wallace character, right? Yeah, he had he he admitted it in a book in his first book, The Reformation Rev. Yeah, he, he's like 
you know, I thought it'd be fun to do this little character. And I, I got a little out of hand, but he didn't like say specifically what he did. Like the title of the thread was Pussified Nation. And it was just that this screed of bile um, that at the time we dismissed as this over the top character, this, this cartoonish idea of masculinity, you know, fight club was a big deal at that church. And I don't think they ever understood fight club, but they're mm. like, yeah, Tyler Durden's a man's man. This movie's great. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so that's, that's what he was doing. But, but in hindsight, looking back on it and having seen what Mark became, we just all realized like he's been William Wallace all along He's marketing himself differently. Pastor Mark is a different persona that's the same ideas, just expressed in in a more palatable way for mass consumption. The Chapel Probation Podcast takes a critical look at evangelical colleges and universities, focusing initially on Azusa Pacific University, where I taught English for 15 years. I'm Scott Okamoto, and I'm writing a book about how I deconstructed from faith completely while at APU. This podcast, though, is my tribute to the students and other faculty who survived evangelical higher education. They faced ridiculous racism, sexism, anti-LGBTQ hatred, and all manner of bigotry. From the heartless evils of the prosperity gospel to the destructive pseudo-theology of purity culture, the stories will break your heart, but they will also inspire. These people faced bigotry and fought back. In a weird, kind of sick way, we went through some shit, but we formed identities and we formed communities through it all. I hope you will join us. Hey everyone, I hope you're enjoying this episode. I want to take a quick break from the conversation to let you know that we have a fantastic new way for you to support the podcast. If you like what you hear from our show and want to partner with us, head over to patreon.com slash fullmutuality to donate. As a partner, you'll get exclusive content, access to occasional live recording events, and more for as little as $5 a month. Thank you already for your support of what we're creating. And now, back to the conversation. And so he just dawned on you to think back to that period of time and, and what he some really weird stuff you remember him writing back in the day on this this forum. Well, we'd never forgotten it, mm. but it but it became obvious that now is the time for it to to be seen by other people. We'd known that the church had been they I know the specific person who was tasked with like hunting down all the physical copies of it that existed because you know this is the year two thousand when this forum post happened. People were printing out all their email in two thousand you know, <laughs> so this was like an eleven page forum thread that people had printed out hard copies of, oh. and somebody at Mars Hill, a pastor, was like finding out who had them and destroying them. Uh, other people. I mean, had everything it, like, online had been deleted, or was there a way of tracing? It was. That? In, it was in the Wayback Machine. Oh, that's, that's where we got it. Hmm. Um, so, me and two other guys that were, had been involved with Wheel of Mars Hill, one of them had the idea of going through the Wayback Machine. I think it once we got a a CDR with some like screenshots of the post that somebody had made back in the day. 
it gave a little direction of where to go in the Wayback Machine. Although, like we we all knew like the old site, what what the um what the uh, the address was and, and all that stuff. Um, but yeah, so so a friend of mine just went through the archives of the formerly public forum. This was before the city, and and just went in the the month or two after the date it would have happened because I remembered it was in December that he actually posted this and found uh instances in the wayback machine of of the of ten of the eleven pages being cached and wow. we never got the tenth page um but the my other friend packaged it into a pdf and and created a a traceable link for it. And they didn't really want their names out there. I was, will, you know, I'd already had my name out on the site and all that and was willing to to publicly put it out there. So I was the one that dispersed it into like the Facebook groups where there was you know, like thousands of, of people uh, talking about the stuff going on in Mars Hill and stuff. And, and you know, from there, you know, I guess uh, Matthew Bolturner saw it and Rachel Held Evans saw it. But, you know, we, we put it out there first and within hours we saw, you know, tens of thousands of hits just like it was climbing like crazy. Um, and uh, do you remember within, some of the days, lines off the top they, of your head of like what was some in this content that was just so shocking for people on the outside to to hear? Um, like, <laughs> I mean, oh. I, Content warning. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let me let me pull it up here in my Google Drive. I mean the yeah. the the file is still out there. Um I'll I'll read a little bit of this. I've never read this out loud, but um Oof. but one of the things in that Christianity Today Marcel podcast that bothered me so much is that I so wanted to ask over... you about this, Zach. Sorry to yeah. cut you. I really wanted to know your take on that podcast because you were so deep in it. You had such a part to play. Did anyone reach out to you from the podcast to, to talk to you? Yeah. Mike Cosper reached out to me, not about having me on the show, but to confirm some of the details of what I was involved with in, in the lead up. And actually like, like early on when they heard they were doing it, like I reached out, I messaged him. I didn't know who he was. You know, I, mm-hmm. I messaged him was like, Hey, just, you know, like, you know, I, I released the William Wallace stuff and, uh, thank you for covering this story or whatever. And, and, and I hope that you will interview such and such a person. I don't think that this story will be told correctly if these voices aren't included. And were they included? uh, One of them I got lunch with and he didn't realize that Mike had reached out to him and afterwards went through his email and found it and ended up on the show and is like the guy that has like one of the better quotes on the whole thing saying that Mars Hill was rape culture and mm. that they were first facilitating marital rape and that's mm. that's what that was mm. and uh so i was glad that that voice was included but over and over and over you have people being interviewed on there and are talking about mark's supposed gifts as a communicator right. oh he's such a gifted communicator yeah. and i'm like well like to communicate like you you, you <laughs> It's encoding and decoding. You know, you're trying to communicate an idea that you have in a way that somebody on the other end is going to hear it best they can. Um, and, and like, specific ideas. And and Mark 
was his gift was I, I I called it uh his gift was in long form extemporaneous bullshit. He was like a salesman. <laughs> he you could give him a topic and he could talk for an hour. He had this story that he tells all the time that he thought was like what a great story about oh yeah in in high school one time I I went on a debate team event because I was argumentative. I wasn't on the debate team, but they invited me to go on this and I won the whole thing and got like a collared scholarship. And the whole, all I, all that I did was attack the other person, uh, but it was effective and I won. Isn't that great? Wow. And he was telling like, on himself, like telling yeah. you a bit of his psyche and what goes on in his head. Yeah. You know, and I, I had friends that like when their bands played at services with him and they'd like have like a brief conversation in the green room before he went on stage about what he was going to be preaching on. You know, they'd, they'd say something about the verse and he'd be like, oh, oh, that's that's interesting. I hadn't thought about it that way. And then he'd go out and do like 45 minutes on what they had just said. <laughs> you know, <Right. laughs> like and he, he wasn't he wasn't like researching and, and he wasn't slaving over these sermons. He was winging it at he the beginning. Deep. He probably was putting more time into it. But for a long time, he was essentially just going out there and bullshitting for BSing. an hour. Yeah. So, so what got you, how is that communication? You- how is that a great communicator? Yeah. Was no. that so, the piece of Mars Hill that got you riled up the most of the podcast about the rise and fall of Mars Hill, that Christianity Today? Was that the piece ticking you off? Like that was getting you annoyed when you were starting to go there? <laughs> there was there was a bunch of things. I mean, ultimately, I think by the end of the of the podcast, he landed in a place that would have been a great starting point. Um, <laughs> I don't even know if I finished it. I think I got... Yeah eight or nine episodes in and i thought they were done i think a lot of people dropped out because like bonus yeah, episode. i dropped off around seven yeah see they mentioned me by name in the final episode and oh. i only had a couple old friends that don't know what i'm up to these days reach out and be like is that you on there mm. i'm like yeah that was me I'm like good <laughs> good for you it's good to like get the wolves out of the out of the church and and you know protect god's people or whatever i'm like yeah okay <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah, yeah, I think a lot of people dropped off by then. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, the, I always so almost that, worried that his last episodes were just him trying to cover his butt with the criticisms that everybody like. I feel like ah, you know, like you you're saying that you're done the podcast, then you're throwing in a bonus episode because this podcast series is making you a lot of money. And I'm like, people are starting to pick apart what's wrong with it. I mean, we get hits all the time on our first episode because that's what we are doing, and people want to. There's some people yeah. who realize something's. Something's amiss, but I, I I've been curious to see if the last two episodes or the last the recent ones that he released were you know trying to cover you know trying after the fact trying to correct you know when you hear the criticisms and then you use that in order to to reshape a narrative. No, I mean the the final episode like one of the last quotes that he gets in there is from this guy Nate Burke. Nate's a friend. He was Mark's assistant for many years. Um, like he, he would like travel with him and, and all this stuff. And, um, I remember like before it fully collapsed, our, like our kids went to the same preschool and I remember talking to him and him saying, Marcel wouldn't be in this, in this position right now if Mark weren't an asshole. Like that's what it comes down to. Mm-hmm. And, and at the pod on the podcast that the CT one and the last one, like he says straight up, like Mark doesn't give a shit about anybody Mm. and that's not a shepherd Mm -hmm. like he shouldn't be doing this he shouldn't have been doing this he doesn't care about other people he's not capable of caring about other people and that didn't seem like the sort of thing that 
would have possibly been in the first half of that season of episodes. Mm -hmm. Um, But also, you know, I was, you know, he wasn't talking to people he should have been talking to. He wasn't centering the victims. They were never going to interrogate the, the toxicity of the underlying uh, uh, theology there. Like even when he's like, like if you're, if you're, you know, a a Christian in 2005 or whatever, you'll of course know about John Piper's seashells, uh, uh, sermon from some conference. I'm like, why the fuck would I care about that? No, maybe maybe talk <laughs> like, about John Piper telling women that if their husband <laughs> smacks them, they should stay for a night and then seek help yeah. from the church after they're yeah. allowing their spouse to abuse them because the church teaches that it's a, like they should just endure it yeah, for a like, season. I'm not down with John Piper at all, but yeah, they were no. never going to go there. And you know, my my friend Stephanie Drury, you know, he. He said that he wouldn't have her on because he he found her to be vulgar. Isn't that um, interesting from a podcast that has people swearing oh yeah. right in the opening? Like bleeped out. Somebody but like swearing, swearing on the opening who put his wife in the hospital. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, yeah. Well, I guess if the you're documents abusive, are online. So if you're an abusive man being vulgar, that's cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and that's sad. Yeah, but you can't handle a, a woman using vulgar language. Yeah. So I had many problems with with that podcast ultimately i guess i'm glad it exists because it tells enough of the story that i think people can tell it's not the whole thing and they seek out parallel Mm -hmm. uh stories about that and find more things and and that can help give them a a more well-rounded understanding and if they stick to the end there's some good stuff towards the end Mm -hmm. um but yeah so what they said at the end was that me releasing the William Wallace document was the straw that broke the camel's back. Mm. Um, that that ultimately is what caused the, 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 the collapse at the end. Like that's what made them uh, force Mark to step down and he was going to go through a restoration period or whatever. You know, you know, that's he all would not have like, that. They knew about that the whole time. They'd <laughs> yeah. been sending people to track it down and they fully intended to restore him anyways. Um, so that was going to be for show, but Mm -hmm. I'll, I'll read a little bit here. So he, you know, he posted a bunch throughout this, but, um, so this is December 5th, 2000, 852 AM. William Wallace, II. we live in a completely pussified nation. We could get every man, real man, as opposed to pussified James Dobson, knockoff, crying, promise-keeping, homoerotic, worship-loving mama's boy, sensitive, emasculated, neutered, exact male replica, evangelifish, and have a conference in a phone booth. It all began with Adam, the first of the pussified nation, who kept his mouth shut and watched everything fall headlong down the slippery slide of hell slash feminism when he shut his mouth and listened to his wife, who thought Satan was a good theologian, when he should have led her and exercised his delegated authority as king of the planet. As a result, he was cursed for listening to his wife, and every man since has been pussified. Sit quietly by and watch a nation of men be raised by bitter, penis-envying, burned, feminist, and single mothers who make sure that Johnny grows up to be a very nice woman who sits down to pee. few more um, uh, paragraphs here, and he ends it by saying, oh, God. I know many of the women will disagree, and they, like Eve, should not speak on this matter. And many men will also disagree, which is further proof of the pussified they've been epidemic. Pussified, of course. Having yeah. now become airborne and universal, pussified men are inarguably <laughs> legion. Nothing short of an exorcism is needed. Um, wow. And, you know, uh, 
Trinity Church, this is your pastor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a lot, a lot of you listening to this. Um, <laughs> I know, right? All the people from Trinity Church who are listening to our podcast. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so, yeah. Yeah, it's another, like, Christianity Today was never going to venture. It was like, how did this man of God get get led astray by by his pride and arrogance and and ruin a good thing god was doing and i'm just like he never should have been a pastor the guy is not qualified Mm -mm. the guy doesn't care about people (laughs) he he just doesn't and it's interesting um you know thinking through this story and then watching in real time currently the collapse of yet another mega church and seeing these people doing the same things i mean stuff that brian houston has been posting to twitter recently which i think he uh, he might have blocked me recently um, well wait before you get on to that i'm going to put a pin in it nate because this is important this is very important so nate prides himself on who blocks him on twitter and he actually worked. Yeah, you're laughing. You know exactly where I'm going. He really tried hard to get blocked by a certain person. Go ahead, Nate. Make your announcement. Well, how did oh, you yeah. do it? Yeah, Driscoll blocked me. He, he worked at that. I just kept... Uh, which, well, I was which, fo- Dr- which Driscoll blocked you? Because I didn't block you. I have <laughs> I have at Mark Driscoll. The... Um... Oh, you have at Mark Driscoll. No, 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 no. At Pastor Mark <laughs> yeah, blocked me. Yeah, yeah. No, a, a, fr- oh, a friend of you. mine was like volunteering <laughs> at the church and he... He set up, set Mark up with like half a dozen different possible accounts and he picked Pastor Mark and my friend kept at Mark Driscoll and handed it off to me several years ago. Ooh, I've hardly done anything with it. Um, <laughs> <Waste> <laughs> give it to Stephanie. <laughs> give it to give Stephanie. It. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I post a few things, but yeah. I'm sure she'll know what to do with it since fake Driscoll is no longer a thing. <laughs> oh, I know. Um, I, I looked into giving it to her and she's like, I, I think no, she'll shut that, that down immediately probably. Yeah, because we still don't know why fake Driscoll got shut down, right? Not really, but I got I got to ask her. He complained enough, or whatever. I don't I don't know. Yeah. Okay, so and you I, you worked. Do anyway. you remember Nate? What you did to get bar- blocked? Because you were did. trying. You wanted that as a badge of I, honor to get blocked by I Mark did. Driscoll. Yeah, I wanted Driscoll to block me, um, <laughs> and I followed him around too. He I was muted posting... him before he blocked me. Like I, yeah. I I added the words Mark Driscoll so I wouldn't see them. Yeah, which is so you fair. Were, you you were, should. Yeah, you were not. I I'm yeah. I being an East Coaster and only you know. The, my only connection to him was um, having been on staff at a Acts 29 church. So I'm, you just I have to enough distance him. from this guy. <laughs> well, the other thing, too, is I also wanted wanted people to see um, that you know, he can't like he just posts stuff. And sure, you know, he's going to block whoever is is trying to call him out, you know. Um, but I I tweeted enough at him and replied to enough of his um, stupid bullshit that i um that he eventually blocked me and i think a few people uh started liking some of my um some of my tweets which i think got his attention because if it were just me hounding him um i'm sure he wouldn't have cared or his handlers wouldn't have cared but if um if it you know if other people were starting to get you know quote unquote influenced i'm sure um that would they that want would your pose negative problems. attention. Okay, I'm sorry. Me if, after his Obama tweet. Oh, what was you... what was that tweet? I don't remember that. Okay, he. I'm wrote... not super active on Twitter, so. Yeah, yeah. No, well, this is um, when Obama was getting sworn in for his second term. On the okay. day of that, 
Driscoll tweeted, praying for our president who today will place his hands on a Bible he does not believe oh, to take an I oath to a that. God he likely does not know. And I remember I responded, I cannot believe I spent nine years at your church. And that's when I unfollowed him. <laughs> um, yeah. And uh, he may have blocked me at that point. But uh, Nice. You know what? I've been that's waiting great... to talk to somebody who was inside at Marcel when this was going down because I'm sure they knew about the site. They knew who I was. And I, I want to hear the stories of of I want to oh, know if people... he was yelling curses uh, that involved my Listen, name or anything i am proud of your going out if that is what got you blocked that's a great way to get blocked like that's yeah. um that's yeah. quite a tweet sorry i didn't mean to sidetrack nate i just all along in this conversation i was gonna have to add in at some point that i know you worked hard at getting blocked. <laughs> just the, did, when you yeah. mentioned yeah. when you mentioned brian houston's tweet so going back to that i don't know where we were at yeah but, i i i was um the similarities yeah, I was talking about some of the similarities. I, I think what yeah, so so when it when it comes to these these people, you know, and I think increasingly now we're starting to see um the the beginnings of um of Hillsong and and how it was founded and how um Brian Houston is another one who should never have been a pastor. And these guys like to talk about how, you know, growth is a marker of um uh, of of God's favor, you know, in, in, on, in the Pentecostal If you're not growing, side, right? you're dying. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I, I think there was a part of me for that. That's probably what attracted me to these larger churches. And my progression outside of fundamentalism was to gravitate towards these larger churches. I think partially because I had been at a church that was no more than 90 people at a time. Well, also um, your church attitudes and fundamentalism was that separatism was important. And so keeping, well, right. Keeping small. So, was so what, right. So what I, um, being the other way, what I was, what I was, um, thinking when I entered these spaces was that, um, well, this many people can't be wrong because like I was in that space where there were only 90 people there. So right. of course that was probably mess and it, it kept shrinking, but I had a particular you know, I, guy that was like, he's my canary in the coal mine. If, if, mm. if he, if he's still there, it can't all be bad. Right. Mm. Yeah. And we have those people too. Right. Um, That's which it, it's an another thing that point. Like for people to maybe think through, they might be a canary in someone else's coal mine. Yeah, like, that's, yeah, because he's come out since and be like, "Yeah, I fucked up. Like, I shouldn't yeah. have been there. I was, I was helping perpetuate some really bad stuff." Yeah. And that's that's a thought that I had, and and there are people who I know who are still at Hillsong who have this mentality that, well, I'm there to X, Y, and Z. I'm there to protect my team from the toxicity that's happening right above me, or I'm there to you know try to uh, promote change. Um, you know, I, I'm close enough in proximity to the leadership there, and maybe I can start enacting some change. Um, and there are people around you who are looking to you for guidance. And they're assuming that because you're there, it's a safe place. Um, but it's not. So the best thing you can do for those people that you're trying to protect is to leave. I, I feel like we've said that often <laughs> on this show. But in, in all of these churches, um, like I'm, I'm all for hashtag empty the pews because the evangelical spaces are yep. incredibly toxic and damaging and harmful and, and not just the, the churches, but the, the theologies, the belief systems, they are rife with pain, suffering, oppression, um, rape culture, as you were mentioning, Zach, um, they just perpetuate these things. Um, I don't know where else I want to go with that, but I, you know, maybe my, I'm... my, my, 
issue I see Hillsong and Mars Hill as very distinct things from my perspective. I I have always hated Hillsong because of its empire-like control of culture. It's 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 spread of this homogeneity of of evangelical expression. The fact that you know, 50% of the songs people sing in churches are Hillsong songs. I just, I've never understood why a pastor can be a celebrity, why a worship band could tour. Um, I just think that that should be a local calling to care for your actual neighbors and your direct community. And that they have such a, a, Mm. they're so hell bent on, on, massive success in a, in a very, you know, they're a business, not a church. Yeah. Um, as, as the Hillsong documentary put over and over and, you know, they're m- trying to make church McDonald's. Yeah. The, the value of McDonald's is they've always, you know, they're a real estate company, not a restaurant. Um, mm-hmm. But when you walk in McDonald's at any, any country in the world, you know, what's on the menu and you know what it's going to taste like. Yeah. And, that's that's what Hillsong was pumping yeah. out, and Mars Hill was so distinct in its cultural cultural yeah. expressions, where it was unlike any church I'd ever been to, and I visited a lot of church. You know, every time my family went on vacation, we went to church. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, I think um, some of that might be the the Pentecostal um, theology. Um, what is it? The Seven Pillars, um, Gail? That I yeah. Yeah, seven mountains. Seven mountains. Yeah, sorry, sorry. Yeah. Um, and so I think some of it stems from that. This idea that they are supposed to do this, this work to take um, over and, and take over. And, yeah. yeah, all of these aspects of culture in order to usher in the the coming of Christ, and that's how they seem to want to do it because they they turn to those kinds of people. Um, you know, those kind of that, that sort of marketing. Um, but I don't want to turn this into a, into a conversation about Hillsong. But Though I do think um, a conversation about there, evangelical, so. yeah, <laughs> I do think a conversation about evangelical, uh, evangelicalism at large and to recognize that, you know, Zach, as you were saying, they, they do in, in many cases kind of occupy a sort of polar opposites um, on, on evangelical evangelical spectrum in their approach in their um praxis i suppose and in some of their theologies if you stay within evangelicalism their 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 theologies are different from each other yeah. but the similarities um between them are that are are too numerous i think to to say like these are completely different i think we can learn lessons from each um each church that then applies to the evangelical world at large and and trickles down from the you know from the 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 massive church that was mars hill down to the little 200 member acts 29 reformed you know reformed presbyterian church and then the same thing with hillsong all the way down to your local pentecostal uh, Hillsong Network church that only has about yeah. 300 people so right? when i left the acts 29 church i was like i am going to find an uncool local church, nothing that's a destination sort of thing, nothing that's an event. I'm just going to go to a local church that, that is in my community. And it was a Nazarene church. I waited about a year before I started playing music there. 
And when I started playing music, it was like all Hillsong and it was all these songs I'd never heard before because I didn't listen to Christian radio. I, I you know, I, I knew Shout to the Lord in the 90s. And, you know, that's, mm-hmm. you know, the stuff from working at my parents' business. Um, but, you know, I stopped listening to CCM when I was like 14. Um, and and so like like having like I heard Oceans for the first time when I had to play it, you know. And like, you don't know oceans, like, you know, like, how could you not know this? But then like, I started like looking into this stuff and like, it's, it's just so, it's so thoroughly invaded all of these churches that you see, like more guitars are sold for worship than any other use. And there are particular guitar pedals that is like, this is how you get the sound for oceans or whatever. Like this is what's on the pedal board of this guitarist from Hillsong. And so like specific gear is, is very popular because it's like the accepted sound you need to have to play worship guitar. And I was lucky enough to, when I played worship there, I I became friends with the worship pastor. He was like learning guitar as he was doing, like he was hired on as somebody whose background was like in choir directing. And, and like when I joined, I was like, so we do like write songs. And he's like, nah, we're we're not, we're not going to do that. But okay. Can I like write my parts then? Like, yeah, you can do that. So like I put more time into it than anybody else on the team, probably because like I'd listened to it for the first time. (laughs) I didn't know any of these songs. And most of the people in the congregation just wanted a karaoke band. They wanted to hear the songs they knew on the radio. And I was like, "I, I, I can only do this if I'm playing something that, I enjoy playing. So like I wrote my own parts for just about every song we did. And luckily I had the freedom to do that, but it it was just bizarre to me. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it isn't an odd phenomenon. Um, when you think about how, how much, um, Hillsong has pervaded the evangelical world. Um, so I'm curious about your, so you, you landed in a Nazarene church after leaving the Acts 29 sort of hip reformed spaces. Um, where, from there, um, you, you ended up leaving evangelicalism altogether. Um, sounds like perhaps you've, you've left Christianity to a degree. Um, I could be misreading that. Uh, but, but yeah, what then? Probably, yeah. I don't, I don't maybe, really maybe God exists. Maybe God doesn't yeah. exist. I don't really believe in an afterlife. Mm. Um, so yeah. Um, sounds like I've left it. <laughs> yeah. Was, did Trump factor into, I want to get into this. I really Oh, did. sure. Was, where yeah. did that line up with your story? Where were you when he got elected and how did that play into, into things? Um, I was frustrated, but, but like it was for many people, Trump illuminated, um, how little the people that taught me right from wrong and, and absolute truth and things like that, uh, how, how little they actually stood by their convictions and, and how much the, they were principles of convenience, not conviction, um, that, you know, what they believed just wasn't challenged until he came along and then they rolled over and like, yeah, all right, I'll believe something else then if, <laughs> if, if that's what it takes to support this guy. Um, and, you know, I've never seen an episode of The Apprentice. I've just known him to be a clown for my entire life, mm-hmm. a, an obvious con man. So it, 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 but it never ceases to amaze me, like how much evangelicals are just begging to be conned. They, they, they want that in their lives. 
and and I saw that with Mark, and I saw that with Trump, and I saw so much of the um the the narcissistic personality disorder sort of stuff uh, that I'd been reading up because of experiencing it with Mark. All that made sense when people started talking about that with Trump. Um, so was Trump, it a shock to you to watch the evangelicals you knew around you getting sucked in after like people, did you see people who, you know, realized Mark was problematic and all of a sudden they're gravitating towards Trump now and, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. There, <laughs> there, there was there was a guy at Mars Hill that like he started one of the bigger Facebook groups, but his whole problem was just like Mark needed needed to roll back the 2007 bylaws to to make the structure of the church more ecclesiastically proper or whatever. And uh, he was like a big Trump guy. He was so stoked when Kellyanne Conway got on board. He's like, I've met her at the prayer breakfast. She's amazing. And he was just one of those people that was absolutely adamant that uh, the Access Hollywood tape was not an admission of any sort of action. Um, but you know, one, one of those people was like, "Oh, grabbing yeah, women boy. by the pussy." That yeah, one? he's like, "Oh, yeah, really terrible that he'd say that." I just, I, I'm just sick to death. I really wish he wouldn't uh, say that. But you know, he's apologized, and you know, rough language is not something that we should condone. I'm like, it's not the language. <laughs> like, right. it's it's like, I can, like, there was a lot of swearing at Mars Hill. <laughs> like, um, you know, I, I, you know, I could say, man, you're, you're like the fucking greatest guy ever. I really, I really like you. God damn. What a guy. I am communicating something positive using words that offend some people. Mm-hmm. I could exactly. say... Well, if you want to know my idea of a good time, it's uh, surprising women by putting my hand into their vaginas without them expecting it. (laughs) Didn't use any bad words there. I am admitting (laughs) that I enjoy habitual sexual assault. That's the problem. And he just responded with, well, I wouldn't vote for you. (laughs) (laughs) Just king of missing the point here. Yeah. Um, and but that's what it was over and over and over choosing to miss the point because mm. accepting the reality of what Trump admitted to would make them have to care about their supposed convictions. And, yeah. you know, Im- the Im- embrace of power was was too important. So, mm. um, yeah, that that opened up my eyes further as far as I was already skeptical of of celebrity and in, in Christianity and pastors with followings, cool churches in any way, really. Um, but the Trump stuff was like, you gotta be kidding me. Like yeah. realizing they weren't holding their noses at all. They were no. psyched to vote for this guy. It is to me mind blowing because it, it wasn't a minority of white evangelicals. Like it wasn't a, it no. wasn't a 50, 50. Here, here's like- an amazing story. So, my 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 wife's uncle was a, was a state representative. Um, we we got along. We we saw each other regularly. Uh, he like lives in the same town as her parents and her uncle and stuff. So we'd go out there regularly, and they'd all get together. Um, had a lot of conversations. With, you know, he's one of those Republicans that would like say they like the Colbert Report. Um, 
But like, they didn't realize they didn't, it was satire. Maybe they didn't fully get, get it, but, but yeah. like he seemed like okay, you know. They whatever. were agreeing like, with his his satire version <laughs> character. Yeah. So like we can we can have decent conversations. We never got mad at each other. Um. So right after Trump got the nomination, and he picked Mike Pence as his running mate, I was at uh, a wedding for this this gentleman's uh, son. And he had told me stories in the past of having met Newt Gingrich and being like starstruck back in like the 90s or whatever, like being able to like drive the guy around town when he was visiting. And Gingrich had been talked about being a potential vice president pick. And so it just as a way of striking a conversation, I was like, oh, um, I saw that uh, that your that your guy Newt didn't get the VP nomination. How do you how do you feel about that? And he's like, well, I'm not not really in the habit of supporting serial adulterers. And so collecting myself, <laughs> I I kind of was like, all right, how do I ask the obvious next question here? It is this man's son's wedding. Okay. So I said, so can I assume that you don't support the top of the ticket then? And he like realized he'd stepped in it and kind of sheepishly looked down and looked to me and said, yeah, actually the county chair of the Trump for president <gasps> committee. <laughs> of course. And that just crystallized like, like, you know, hypocrisy is not news, right. but having it be so blatant um, and in, in the family and with somebody with power, you know, he ended up taking a job in the Trump administration, well, kind of like in the like Department of Agriculture or something, but um, yeah, you got a federal job, you got a pay bump, and, <laughs> and I was like, "You got to be kidding me! This is ridiculous." Those wow. convictions just flew out the window. I think that's you know, if I'm going to tie like Hillsong and and Mars Hill together, like yeah, you got a charismatic church on one side, you got. <laughs> you've got you know the west coast vibe with their alternative you know homegrown stuff their own culture uh not charismatic reformed and you know yes there's some strings of patriarchy it looks different at hillsong it's maybe a little more covered whereas mark was a little more blatant there's there's a lot of right. commonalities but like they all the white evangelicals are all on board with trump like they all really bought into the, it's uh it's quite something on how, like for people who want to separate out evangelicalism from the political side. I know you're an anomaly, Zach. You're, we were talking earlier about this, that you didn't, you know, you didn't, you didn't buy into all the Republican politics stuff, but it does seem to be a very, a very common denominator among white evangelicalism. Like it seems to go to get, they know, like the Republican party knows this is the block that they can count on for support and they need them. Like they need white evangelicalism. They need to to have a Mike Pence, the second person on the ticket. And Trump needs to pull out his Bible at the right moments. And, and then when he says the other stuff, they'll just go, he's a baby Christian. That's why he yeah. he said the wrong thing, because <laughs> he just we need to support him and pray for him. And then, it, then we can we just erase everything else that he says and does. Yeah. That's yeah. 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 They, they always, yep. always had ways of excusing things. Mm -hmm. and proclaiming him as one of them. And for a while I was like, Ugh, I don't want to be a Christian. If like that guy's, that guy's not a Christian. I can't be part of that. And now 
I'm just like, oh, he, yeah, he's a Christian. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm not going to be part of that. Uh, <laughs> but like, yep. like it takes yep. so little to actually be on the team. And yeah. I see no reason to, you know, Chrissy's troop over and over reminds us like, like defaulting, like treating Christian as default good is, is dangerous. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. um, there, there are bad people who are Christians. And you know, I, I, Nate and I still attend church. We go to a progressive church. I don't even like using the word progressive because I find that community is one that I have a hard time with on so many levels. But I think so you're one the woke of, joke folk. Cool. You are the woke we joke. Are the woke we joke are folk. the woke joke folk. <laughs> Hashtag woke joke folk us. Yes, we yeah. should throw yeah. that in with us. But um, yeah. like I, I definitely, I don't, I don't think I would feel safe in any Christian community that could not acknowledge straight up that Christianity as a whole has done a lot of harm. Like I grew up being told we were the good guys and that Christianity as a whole did so many good things for society, but reading actual history and seeing over and over again where Christianity has dominated and harmed people. I don't want to be part of any Christian community that cannot continuously speak out against the abuses and call out the problems. And I did, I listened to that episode you had with Chrissy and it's a fantastic one. And I think it's an important one about addressing that specific stuff. Yes. We're not the good guys. We're not the good guys. And if, if, and I'm not, I'm not trying to tell anyone to stay in church. I think that's, that's an important piece. I actually think for most people, it's probably healthy to not, to not. I might go to church if I didn't have kids. Yeah. I don't, I don't Hmm. trust what they're going to yep. do to my kids, exactly. what they're going to say to them, how they're going to teach them to distrust and hate themselves. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like I've done enough work that like I could get some enjoyment out of some of the rituals without believing any of it. If I were to go into a religious space, there, there's a Romanian Orthodox church up the street from me. And I was taking a walk the other day and tested the doors to see if they're locked. And they were, but if, if they were open, I probably would have gone in and that would have been like the first time I've been inside a church in like three and a half years. Mm-hmm. And maybe I would have just sat down and just taken it in and contemplated some things. I don't know what I would have done. Maybe I would have started crying. Um, mm-hmm. But what I'm not going to do is bring my kids to an evangelical church that's going to shove purity culture into them, that's going to teach them that they can't trust their intuition or their heart that they are incapable of being good outside of this God derived sense of morality, um, that they are, you know, <laughs> kindling essentially, mm. and, unless they say the right words and I'm not, I'm not going to put that trauma on them. And, and I, I wish that I hadn't when they were younger, but I think they were young enough that it didn't stick. Mm. Mine were older when I, deconstruction like like they were already young almost young adults they were in their later teens and and i brought them to vbs i was a youth pastor i really really i could put them in everything you know i did the yeah. the other version of awana everything like i put them in everything to try and indoctrinate yeah, we looked into my, doing awana my, my kids did uh did vbs yeah um, i did all of that but, and you know what yeah. it didn't stick even though I did a, something went wrong and I'm very thankful. I think I'm really thankful to see my kids didn't absorb those, those like they, they see the problems with it and are able to be critical about it. And I'm so thankful they didn't go through my journey and I'm thankful to hear your kids also. It didn't stick in that they're, you know, the, the, the stuff that we got indoctrinated into really young, the harmful pieces that caused that we've had to go to therapy to undo or to try and work our, our way through. It is, I'm happy to like, 
I don't know. It's a good note to finish off yeah. and to, to think about how, how we get to raise our kids differently and yeah. and the idea of a next generation growing up without those kind of toxic ideas as a part of their, you know. I, I read something today that was like, um, it's so confusing that we're worried that kids aren't old enough to know their sexuality or gender identity, but we think they're old enough to be taught about eternal torment if they don't believe the right theology and they need to make a commitment to Christianity for life in order to be safe. Like that's a, that is that's age appropriate. You're four, three years old, four years old, but you know, don't try and, you know, figure out what gender identity or uh, like, yeah, it's, it's yeah, very, I, I've loved I that I've been able to have sense. conversations about that stuff with, with my kids and like have the language to even have that, that my yeah. parents didn't have, but like, yeah, I mean, now and yeah. then oh, Facebook absolutely. will remind me of a post from like when my youngest was like two and I walked into his room and he's singing nothing but the blood of Jesus by himself. And I just thought, oh, how nice, how cool. He's hiding the word in his heart. And I just see that and I'm just like so grossed out and creeped out by it. Like, yeah. why does a two-year-old need to be singing what can wash away my sin, nothing but the blood of Jesus? Like... We were taught to indoctrinate them. And I, 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 this is a a theme that I like to repeat. And as I close off, I do want to say this. We are miracles. We are miracles for making it out. We weren't supposed to make it out. We've been taught to brainwash our own kids. We've been taught how to pass on these messages that are harmful, that don't make sense when you look back. Um, But that was part of our upbringing. And so that's what we passed on. And the fact that we were able to break out of it is a miracle because everything was supposed to prevent us from, from being able to see those things, from being able to step out of those circles. And I look at the work that you're doing on your podcast. I look at the voices you're bringing in. I look at the topics you're covering. And I think it's such a great service that you're providing for other people. It's such a labor of love. Um, and I really appreciate it. I appreciate it so much. And I'm I'm thankful you're willing that you were willing to come on today and, and chat with us and, and share some of your story. Um, yeah, before we go, Zach, um, you still need to answer the question. How do you uh, how do you bring down a megachurch? <laughs> we want to know. <laughs> <laughs> um, insinuate yourself into the upper levels of it by being a valued member of the community for nine years and then remember all the gross shit that happened and tell people about it. Mm. And oh, that have sounds... everybody go, how did you stay there? That's gross shit. <laughs> like, yeah, it was. Hmm. Uh, I'm gonna go to therapy. So yeah, I was about to say that sounds sounds like a pretty expensive therapist bill. (laughs) I found one that's in network, so very exciting. It works out. Yeah, I feel lucky in that way too. I did find one that was in network, but my my copay is is very. It's like pocket change. It's uh you know three cups of coffee, yeah, a week, which I'll gladly sacrifice for all of the the work that I need to do. Um, the podcast is called Veterans of Culture Wars. Um, you can find them wherever you get your podcasts. Um, Zach, this has been a blast. Thank you again for, uh, for coming and hanging out with us. Anything else? Where can people find you on the socials, um, around the internet? Uh, yeah, on Twitter, I'm at Muzak, M-U-Z-A-C-H, um, and uh, muzak.bandcamp.com. I have a a Christmas record that I put out. There's only a hundred vinyl copies of that. That was sort of uh, 
written at the during the beginning of deconstruction like the the, the last song was like after my family canceled thanksgiving because we argued about trump too much Ooh. um <laughs> and uh so it's nice That's to real. listen back on that now and being like oh wow i was really i was definitely starting a journey when i recorded this um mm. so yeah i'm on there um we're just about to launch some merch for the podcast which is exciting cool. um I don't expect anybody to buy any of it, but I put in some work designing it all. <laughs> nice. If, you, if you've got a link, we could throw it in the show notes. Uh, yeah, I put together a link tree finally, which will which will have that on there, so I can cool. send that to you. Awesome. All right. And if you want to read uh, my my writings, uh, Pussified Nation. It's uh... <laughs> <laughs> no. Yes. No. Yes. By uh, by your alter ego, William Wallace the second. Yeah. Absolutely. That was me. That's how you take down a megachurch. You write things under a fake name, get them to put in their book that they wrote them, and then go, aha, you're the bad guy. So, yeah. All right. right. Th- thanks for having me on. Yeah. It was a pleasure. Absolutely. And I got to go get to Zumba now. <laughs> <laughs> That wraps up another episode of the Full Mutuality Podcast. If you haven't already, please subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app. And if you don't already have one, head over to our website, fullmutuality.com, for a list of all the apps you can find us on. We couldn't do this without you, our listeners, so thank you so much for your continued support. Speaking of support, one of the best things you can do for us is to head over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. I'm pretty sure five-star reviews get you an extra crown in heaven. Well, seriously, if you found this episode insightful, spread the word and share it with your friends. And don't forget to follow us on social media. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Full Mutuality. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you on the next episode of the Full Mutuality Podcast.